Right, let's open our Bibles again now to Genesis chapter 25. Continuing this morning, looking at some questions that are asked in Scripture. And the title of this morning's message is, Why Am I Thus? Now, I believe I have a message that will be very helpful to every child of God here this morning. Because this message is going to deal with us right where we live. We're going to deal truthfully and honestly with who and what we are. This is also a very important message because this doctrine that we're going to look at, consider the, the new birth, the, the two natures in our believer, is a doctrine that is under attack in our day. And we would do well to learn what Scripture has to say about it. Now you who truly believe on Christ, you know this. You know you love the Lord. You know you love the gospel. You truly love the gospel. You love God's people. You trust Christ and you find such assurance and peace for your heart trusting Christ to be your all, don't you? You don't have to, to do anything to please God, but you can trust Christ. He's, he's pleased God for you. You know, you trust Him, don't you? You love Him. You love that. You love trusting Christ to be everything it takes to save your soul. You do, don't you? That, that's a that's true, honest statement. But this is equally true. We often find a hardness of heart in ourselves, don't we? At times we find ourselves with a heart that's cold and it's unaffected by hearing the gospel preached. At times we find ourselves feeling very indifferent towards spiritual things, spiritual matters. We feel a very strong love and strong desire for the things of this world, but we find ourselves indifferent to spiritual things. We think, now, I truly love the Savior. That's not just something I say. I mean, I do. I love the Savior. And I need Him. I need Him. Well, that being so, why do I find myself so indifferent about Him and about salvation in Him? My soul feeds on the gospel. The only thing that can feed my soul and edify my soul and strengthen my soul is hearing the gospel of Christ preached. I love it. Well, then why do I find myself being unaffected by the gospel when I hear it? The, the gospel declares the Savior that I truly love and depend upon. Then how can my heart be unaffected when I hear of him? I really do trust Christ. Well, then why do I always want to find myself trusting the works of the flesh? And trusting in the, the self-righteousness that I'm trying to establish by my own works. Why do I do that? I really do trust the Lord. I do, I trust Him. But boy, let the slightest storm cloud appear over my head. And I find it so easy to doubt His providence for me. Why do I do that? I love the Word of God. I love the Word of just reading it, hearing it read, having it preached to me. Boy, the surest cure for insomnia is me to read the Word of God. I just fall right asleep. Why do I do that? It's shameful to say, but that's our experience, isn't it? That's the experience of every one of us that believe on Christ. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, how sweet to sound, that saved a wretch like me. 
Well, he wrote that song. There's no doubt in that song, is there? Oh, amazing grace. Newton also wrote this. There's a point I long to know. Oft it gives me anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I His or am I not? If I love, why am I thus? He's asking the same question Rebecca's asking here. Why am I thus? Why this dull and lifeless frame? Hardly sure could they be worse who never heard his name. Could my heart so hard remain? Prayer, a task and burden prove. Every trifle give me pain. If I knew the Savior's love. When I turn my eyes within, all is dark and vain and wild, filled with unbelief and sin. Can I deem myself a child? If I pray or hear or read, sin is mixed with all I do. You that love the Lord indeed, tell me, is it thus with you? If we're being honest, it is. I know some people don't like that song, but this is why I've said about that. Brother Newton was being brutally honest about the experience of a believer in this life. We shouldn't be cold. Sometimes we are. We shouldn't doubt, but sometimes we do. We should never be indifferent. But sometimes we are. And if your experience in this life is like our brother Newton's, you may wonder from time to time, what is wrong with me? Why am I the way that I am? Well, our Lord answers that question for us in his word. And here's the answer to the question. Then I'm going to spend about 30 minutes expounding on that. Here's the reason I am the way that I am. It's the nature of sin that's still in me. That's why I am. That's why you are the way that we are. You see, a believer, and I'm talking about a believer here now, has two totally separate, distinct natures that live in one person. That's not schizophrenic. That's so. That's what the Word of God says. There's a nature of the Spirit. The Scripture calls it the Spirit. That nature is holy and it's righteous. It can never sin because it's of the seed from which it was conceived and born. It was born from the holy, sinless seed of the Word of God. So that nature that's born of the Word of God is righteous and holy. That nature believes Christ. That nature loves Christ and it can't do anything else and never will do anything else because it was born of the Spirit. But the believer also still has an old nature of the flesh. That nature that we were born with the first time. And that nature is spiritually dead. It's sinful and all it can do is sin. It's the sinful nature of our father Adam that we received from our fathers when we were conceived. Frank Tate Sr. passed on a sinful nature to Frank Tate Jr. Because that's the only thing he had to pass on. Bless his heart, then he spent a number of years <laughs> trying to teach me not to act on that nature. <laughs> and he has work cut out for him. It's the nat- but it's the only nature he had to pass on to me. See, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. You can try to chain it by the law. You, you can try to, try to restrict it by, by threats of uh, the many spankings that my father gave me. But that flesh, all it can ever be is dead flesh. That's all it can ever be. The flesh. 
can never believe Christ. It can never see Christ. It can never see myself as I am. So I'll never see my need of Christ. That dead flesh can't trust Christ. The only thing my dead flesh will ever trust is my dead works. That's the only thing it'll ever trust. And even after a person is born again, we're given a nature that believes Christ, that loves Christ, that trusts Christ. Even after we're born again, that flesh does not improve. The new birth does not improve the, the flesh. I think this week I put an article. I don't know which ones I've yeah, this this week there's an article by Pastor John Chapman about that. Even after the, we're born again, regeneration does not affect the flesh. It's still dead. It's dead, sinful flesh. And that's all it ever can be. So in every believer, there's a sinful nature. All it can do is sin. And there is a holy nature. They can never sin. All it can do is trust Christ because that's its nature. And both of those natures, both of those two men are really me. It's really me that sins. And it's really me that believes Christ. Both of those natures are me. And those two distinct opposite natures will always fight against one another. Because they're opposites in every way. They have opposite natures, so they have opposite desires. They have opposite opposing directions that they want to go. So the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new man, whatever terms you want to call them, they have opposite opposing religions. And boy, how many wars have been started in the history of man over that issue? Opposite opposing religions. So those two natures will always fight against one another. Tell you what makes a believer miserable. That makes us ask this question, why am I thus? It's the civil war that's going on inside each of us. That's why we are the way that we are. Now, let's look into God's word and see if what I just told you is not the truth. Is that what the scriptures teach? I don't want you to take my word for it. Let's see what, what the word of God says about this thing. We have a text this morning that gives us a picture of this truth, and then we have an explanation of it in the New Testament. And I want to give you three points on this subject that I believe will be very helpful to the believer when we ask, why am I the way that I am? Why did I do this? Well, number one, inside every believer lives two completely different natures. Verse 19 of Genesis chapter 25. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padan Aram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, Rebekah was barren. Rebekah could not produce life in her womb. For 20 years she tried and couldn't do it until the Lord put life in her. That's when she conceived, when the Lord put life in her. And isn't that a picture of our flesh? Our flesh is dead and it cannot produce spiritual life. You can make the flesh religious. That's easy to do. It's easy to make the flesh religious. But you can't make it righteous. 
You can't make it live. The flesh can't produce any righteousness, any holiness, or any good works. The only thing the flesh can do is produce more sin and more deadness. So the only way we can have spiritual life is if God puts it in us. Now that doesn't mean that you're to do nothing and sit on your porch and say, oh well, nothing I can do. If God's going to put life in me, He'll put life in me. You know, the Lord uses means. And if you're dead and you want life, you'd be wise to avail yourself to the means. The means that God the Holy Spirit uses to cause this new birth, to cause this new man to be born in the hearts of God's people is the preaching of God's Word. It's the Word. Boy, I'm telling you, as soon as you're born again, as soon as God the Holy Spirit causes that new life to be born in you, brother, your struggles have just started. There's not going to be a bed of roses from here on out. Your struggles have begun the moment God causes you to be born again. There's a picture of that in verse 22. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, if you just think of Rebecca as a, as a woman who wanted to be a mother. 20 years she tried to have children, couldn't have them. And suddenly she realizes she's a child. And she's miserable. I mean, this pregnancy is making her miserable. And she thinks it's supposed to be a happy time. What is wrong? And she goes to inquire of the Lord. You see, there was peace in Rebecca's womb until life was formed in her. When life was formed in her, the war began. The war began. The children began to struggle within her. And that struggle wasn't just pushing and shoving and the word struggle there means to crush. These children were trying to crush one another in her womb. I mean, there was a war going on in there. And they're trying to struggle, crush one another. Because those two babies in her womb were opposites in every way. And they began fighting the very moment that they were conceived. There's peace before that, wasn't there? Same way the child of God. You can be peaceful. Until you're born again. Then the war begins. And these two boys are a picture of the two opposite natures that, that live in every believer. The flesh and the spirit. We see that picture in the natures of Jacob and Esau. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, Here, Here's why you're thus. Here's the problem. Two natures are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out. And his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. Now Rebekah said, what, what's wrong? Why am I thus? And the Lord says, because there's two different men, two opposing natures that are living inside of you that you're going to give birth to. And the first one was Esau. 
Now Esau was a man's man. I mean, this man was an outdoorsman. He was a hunter. I'm just betting you Esau could fix things. Something goes wrong at your house, and you, you I call Eric. We, we, you know, you call Esau. Esau knew how to fix things. Esau knew how to build things. He knew how to construct things and, and do these kinds of things, you know. Esau was just, he was, a, he was the kind of man that everybody liked to have be their friends, you know. You and I would probably really like Esau, but we would. Well, men may have loved Esau, but God didn't. Before Esau was ever born, you know what God said about Esau? I hate Esau. And Esau hated God. You know, this is a two-way street. Esau was a reprobate from the beginning. The writer to the Hebrews says Esau was a fornicator and a profane person. That's why he sold his birthright for a bull stew. He wasn't starving to death. I, mean, ever, I tell Janet that, oh, I'm, I'm starving to death. I just got to have something to eat, you know. He wasn't starving to death. He despised the birthright. And the birthright is not just, well, you get the inheritance. The birthright is a relationship with God. He despised it because he hated God. That's Esau. Well, then there's Jacob. Jacob, from what it sounds like here, he didn't really like to do a lot of things that, that men normally do. He's not an outdoorsman at all. He liked to stay in the tent, you know, and, and cook and those kinds of things. Honestly, it appears, nothing wrong with a man wanting to cook, but it appears Jacob was a mama's boy. Now, especially you little ones, listen to me here. This, I got a story about this. Um, I know a man who, uh, he grew up at, at Grace Church, and, and he heard his pastor talk about, like Jacob, and, and you know, he talked to, to men who, who were husbands, and he'd tell them, don't be a mama's boy. Don't be a mama's boy. He's just a little fella. He heard his pastor say that. And he thought, wonder what that is. He had a really, really, really good friend. And he told his friend, you're a mama's boy. He didn't know what it meant. And that boy's never, I mean, to this day, is not his friend anymore. <laughs> so, uh, so just don't, don't be calling people that. You know? But that's what Jacob was. I mean, he was. He was a mama's boy. He's a weak man. He just let his mama boss him around even when he was a grown man. And these two twins, Jacob is just not the fellow that we choose to be our friend. I mean, you're around Jacob, you always feel uneasy because he's scheming all the time. You just feel like, I gotta protect my wallet, I gotta walk. Well, he's scheming all the time. You just gotta be on your guard around him. We wouldn't like Jacob, we wouldn't like being around him. But God loved Jacob. God chose Jacob to be his. He chose to save Jacob and pass Esau by. Because God saves sinners. God doesn't save people who deserve it. God saves sinners. And these two boys are pictures of the two natures that live inside every believer. Every believer has the nature of Esau. Once you're born again, now you know it, don't you? Because it's the old man that can see, or the new man can see the old man. We have the nature of Esau that it's sinful. It's a nature that would reject God. By natures, we'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm like Esau. I'm a fornicator. I'm a profane person. My nature of Esau can't do anything but sin. And even after God saves us, that nature's alive and well. Strong, strong nature. 
Jacob, on the other hand, is a picture of the new man who's born of God. He's holy, he's righteous, and he can never see him. He trusts Christ. He trusts Christ. He rests in Christ. He looks, looks to Christ. Oh, he, he loves the Savior. Now you take a snapshot of us at any given time. I'm talking about believers now. Sometimes you can't just really tell that from looking at us in the flesh, can you? But that's exactly what God's people are. What He's made them to be holy and righteous. That's what Jacob is a picture of. Verse 27 says Jacob was a, a plain man. And that doesn't mean that Jacob was plain, unattractive. That word plain means perfect and complete. And I have no idea why the translators translated this Hebrew word here, here plain. It's the only time ever they translated it plain. Every other time this Hebrew word is used in Scripture, it's translated as perfect, undefiled, or upright. That's what God has made His people to be. When He causes a new man in us to be born again, He's perfect, He's undefiled, and He's upright. And here's the problem that... that uh, has caused this, this truth to come under attack in our day. It's by nature. When you look at somebody on the outside, you can't see it. All you see is sin. We can't even see it in our own self, can we? I, everything I do is filled with sin. By nature, nobody would look at Jacob and call him perfect or complete. Far from it. But that's exactly what Jacob is. Not in himself. In Christ. And that's the new man that's born in every one of you who believe. He's perfect and complete. Now I'll show you that. Look at 1 John chapter 3. I wouldn't make it up. I promise you, I wouldn't make it up. This is what the Word of God says. 1 John chapter 3. First John 3, verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And here's why. For seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. Now a lot of people say, well, John didn't mean that, that there. I always want to ask, if he didn't mean that, why did he say it? They say John meant the believer doesn't practice sin. Well, if that's what that means, we may as well shut our Bibles and go home. Because nobody here is saved and we never will be. Never will be. Do you practice sin? Of course we do. Everything we do is filled, is filled with sin. So this verse doesn't mean you don't practice sin. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you quit sinning. The verse means exactly what it says. The new man born of God does not Sin. He can't sin and he never will sin because his seed remaineth in him. He's born from sinless, pure seed. Now that old man, all he can do is sin because he's born from sinful seed. But the new man cannot sin because he's born from sinless seed. Look over First John chapter 5. See, we know 
Verse 18, John 5, 1 John 5. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. See, that new, that new man cannot sin, because God keeps him, and he's perfect. He cannot sin. Almighty God does not accept that new man because he counts him to be righteous, even though he's not righteous. That bothers me a lot. God doesn't play. God does not pretend. He calls things what they are. You know why God counts that new man to be righteous? Because he is. He is, because that's what God made him to be. (laughs) God made him to be what he'll accept. Holy and perfect. Now here's the importance of what the scripture is teaching us here. If we would deny there are two natures in every believer, we are denying the entire gospel. We are denying the entire word of God from let there be light to the end of Revelation. We're denying the entire gospel and the entire word of God. If we are denying that there are two natures in every believer, then we're saying the flesh can believe. We're saying the flesh can get some light. The flesh can get some light and some ability to believe on Christ. Now that denies the entire gospel. It denies everything that happened in the garden. I remember Brother Henry saying so often, if you're wrong on the fall, you're wrong on it all. Well, if our flesh can get some life, and get some light, get some spiritual understanding, then we didn't die in Adam. Oh, when we fell in Adam, we got we got banged up a little bit, you know, but we can recover. That denies the whole gospel. If our flesh can get some light, and it, then if they're not two natures in a believer, you have to say the flesh can get some light. And I'm not making this up. Man told me this one time. The, in, in, in salvation, the flesh gets some light and gets some life and the Spirit influences him externally. Now if the Spirit can influence your flesh externally and your flesh can get some light and get some life to believe Christ, then your flesh is not dead. And that denies the, the gospel. That denies the scripture. That makes the whole Bible a lie. Now you see how important this thing is? There are two natures in every believer. When God saves a sinner, the Holy Holy Ghost births in that person a brand new nature, a brand new man that never existed before. That nature is holy and righteous. And he can only ever believe Christ. He can only ever find rest in Christ. Now the nature of the flesh... He's going to continue to be dead and sinful. And he's going to constantly try to pull that old man away and make him look to the arm of the flesh. Make him look to his works. Make him look to what he can do to make God happy with him. And that new man is going to say, no. No. I can only look to Christ. I can only find hope and rest and peace and comfort in Christ. And they're just going to constantly war like that. Constantly they're going to war like that. Until... The flesh finally dies and it goes where it belongs. In the ground. Out of sight. And the new man goes where he belongs. 
straight into the presence of Almighty God. And he can immediately, that new man, when the flesh closes his eyes in death, that new man immediately goes into the presence of God because God made him fit to do it. Made him righteous and holy. But until that happens, and we separate these, these two men, there's going to be this war going on. That's why we are the way that we are. Now, let me give you two words of, of comfort. Every believer knows the civil war is going on inside me. And we worry from time to time. Who will win? The stakes here are mighty important. I mean, it's the eternal well-being of my soul. The stakes are high. Who's going to win? I need to know. Well, here's my second point. The new man will prove to be stronger than the old man. See, this warfare is so awful. Oh, sometimes we just feel so cold and so dead. We think, like Newton thought, I can't be a believer. I can't be a child and feel this way. It feels like I've already lost the battle with my flesh and I'm going to fall away from Christ. Now let me give you some help here. If God the Holy Spirit's the one's giving you life, that will never happen. Never. Because the new man born of God is stronger than the old man. Look back at Genesis again. Genesis 25. Verse 23. The Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. <laughs> now Esau was the older. The birthright legally belonged to Esau, didn't he? And he was physically stronger. Not only was he older, he was physically stronger. Jacob could not take that birthright from him by force. But God loved Jacob. God determined, God promised that Jacob would have the birthright. So he did. See, the birthright means not, not just you got a, a bigger inheritance or whatever. It means you're the spiritual leader of the family. You're the spiritual ruler of the family. You're the priest before God for your family. It's a relationship with God. Now, Jacob had to have that birthright because God promised it to him. Now, Jacob's weak. I mean, physically, maybe he's weak. But, I mean, you read through the life of Jacob. Jacob is weak. Was there ever a test that came up to Jacob that he passed. <laughs> Not one. Jacob did the wrong thing first every single time. Oh my goodness. But yet he had to have that birthright because God said he would. And he did. And you know what? He ended up being stronger than Esau. Well, in the same way, that new man born of God, he must rule. He must rule. That new man is stronger than the old man. Now you think, some of you might think, oh, I don't think that's so with me. Because I try not to sin and I do anyway. I try not to think sinful thoughts and I do anyway. I try to read the, read the word and my mind wanders off to things. If I, if I read a novel, my mind never wanders. But I read the word of God, my mind wanders you think, my new man is not stronger than the old man. I, I can't focus on the Lord for you know any amount of time. Oh yeah. Oh yes. The new man's stronger. 
See, the new birth doesn't mean you're going to quit sinning less or start sinning less. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, you're going to think you start sinning more. And the reason you think you start sinning more is that old man can't see sin. It doesn't bother him. The new man sees it. It bothers the new man. You'll think you're, you, you started sinning more. So the new man is not stronger in the sense that he makes you start sinning less. The new man is stronger in this way. He won't let you quit believing on Christ. He won't let you. See, there was a day that old man, he kept you from seeing Christ, didn't he? He kept you from believing on him. You saw these people excited about hearing the gospel and on a Sunday morning they come in, they're so excited at when they leave and boy, they come dragging in on a Wednesday night, the, the work week's just beating them up and, and they come in and they leave just you know skipping on the air and you think, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I don't feel that way. I don't get it. I don't see what the big deal is about. What was going on? The old man was keeping you from seeing Christ. But now, God's caused you to be born again. Now you believe Christ. God's given you faith in Christ. And that old man, he keeps trying to get you to not believe on Christ, doesn't he? He keeps, keeps trying to get you to say, well, it's Christ plus what I do. I'll, I'll be better off if I add to what Christ has done for me. That old man keeps trying to get you to look away from Christ, doesn't he? And the new man won't do it. You end up keeping looking to Christ, don't you? You end up keep believing on Christ and, and trusting on Christ. You will not quit trusting Christ and Christ alone. You know why? Because the new man's stronger. The new man is stronger. And if that new man is in you right now, I'm telling you this, you're going to die believing Christ. You surely will. If you believe him now, you're going to believe him on your deathbed. You won't quit because the new man's stronger. Then here's the third point. I love this. I love to think about this. The old man, you know why he was born? To serve the new man. The flesh, our flesh was born to serve the new man. Just like Esau was born to serve Jacob. See that at the end of verse 23? The elder shall serve the younger. Esau was born to serve Jacob. Now he never meant to do it. He never did it on purpose. But all Esau's life, he helped Jacob. He served Jacob. That's what he did. And the same thing is true of our old man. Our old man serves the new man. And you might think, now Frank, maybe your internal struggle is not the same as mine. I don't see my old man serving the, the new man. I see the old man harming the new man. No, the old man, your old man, absolutely serves the new man. And I'll tell you how. It's the sin of the old man that drives you to Christ for forgiveness. It's the unbelief of the old man that makes you so ashamed and makes you feel so bad. It's the unbelief of the old man that drives you to the Lord, crying, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. It's the coldness of the old man, that coldness that bothers us, it's the coldness and hardness of heart of that old man that drives the new man to Christ and say, Lord, warm me. Hold me in your arms. Pull me up close to your bosom and warm me. It's the coldness of the old man drives you to that. It's the desire of that old man to want to wander away from Christ. 
that drives the new man to run to the Lord and cry, Lord, draw me. Don't let me wander away. Draw me to you. Don't let me wander away. Keep me. Now, there's no good in that old man. There's no excuse for him. No excuse for his sin. No excuse for our unbelief. No excuse for our rebellion. No excuse for it whatsoever. You know I'm not excusing that. But the old man serves the new man this way. By driving us to Christ. There's nothing in me that will help me. The new man sees that. So the old man is what drives us to Christ. And that's how the old man serves the new man. And one day, we're not going to need that old man anymore. We're not going to need him to drive us to Christ anymore. Because the Lord will finally have separated that flesh and that spirit. And we'll be seeing Christ face to face. Be with him forever. And we won't need that old man anymore, will we? But until then, until the Lord's pleased to do that, call us home, that helps me understand why I am the way that I am. Does it you? I hope so. I hope that'll that'll help you and, and keep us looking to Christ alone. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us to look into your word, to see our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray you you bless the word, that you bless the, the preaching of your word. Father, you cause it to take root in our hearts, that you give life. Oh, Father, would you be pleased this morning to reach down in your life-giving power and give life to one of your lost sheep. And Father, keep us all looking to thee, trusting in thee, hoping in thee, and resting in thee. Christ truly is our all. Help us to really understand what that means. So we look to him to be everything that we need. It's in his precious name. For his glory and his sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.